Heard it said once uh, that, you know, there's three very important days in the uh, calendar church year, and uh, pastors should be aware of those days. And uh, one of those, of course, is Christmas. And at Christmas, you should be inspirational as a, as a speaker, as, as a pastor, as a preacher. Uh, at Easter, you should be transformational. Those, that's an important day. You should be transformational in your, in your speaking. And on Mother's Day, you should be short. Uh, <laughs> and some of you guys are thinking about lunch and things with that, and I promise we're going to get to lunch, but excited about what God has for us in his word today. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but it's one of my favorite things to do, people watching. Have you ever been people watching before? Yes. It's an, there's an art, actually, to people watching. Okay. Now, back when Melly and I were uh, much younger, both pre-kids and much poorer, uh, our date nights uh, would consist of us going to the mall in Vero Beach. We'd go to the food court where the fancy food is, uh, usually mall Chinese, that bourbon chicken is good stuff. Uh, and uh, we would eat some mall Chinese. We'd go through the mall, the different stores. There was one store, Brookstone, I think is the name of it, Brookstore. And they let you try out their chairs for free, the massage chairs. You can stay in there forever. And they don't kick you out. And uh, so you try out different things. And uh, then we'd go and sit in certain places in the mall, and we would watch people. So much fun. Because people, when, you, when they don't think that you're looking at them, do very, very funny things. Uh, weird things sometimes. Uh, and I like to, now that we have technology on our side and there's people watching Venture, I like to take pictures every now and then of these people. Um, I was at District Assembly a couple weeks ago, and this sweet lady here, I don't know if you see her. Uh, this was not during Dr. Johnson's uh, sermon, but uh, I was like, man, that looks... I was, I was inspired by her and wanted to take a nap there uh, in, in District Assembly. And then a couple of weeks ago, it was actually months ago, in I believe it was December, uh, I was, Melly and I went to Florida for a wedding, and we were on the beach, we're walking on the beach, it's December, folks, December, and suddenly this guy comes out, older guy, I'm guessing 70s, okay, and he comes out and he just has his, you know, like robe on, and suddenly he takes this robe off, bathing suit, and this guy walks out, like just intentionally, and head first into the ocean. And we were just like, no way. Click. <laughs> Crazy. Maybe you saw the national championship a couple weeks ago. I didn't take this picture, but I thought it was very telling. Ohio State won, which, ugh, boo. Uh, they won. It's terrible. And uh, the streamers are coming down. The game is over. And the whole Ohio State team is celebrating. They're excited. And they're up and down and they're cheering. But here's the picture of the quarterback that was the star just a couple of weeks before. But he got hurt. And so now as his team is celebrating, you can almost, I mean, he's just, it should have been me. It should have been me. It's the one that's being carried off the field right now. Pictures tell us something, especially when people aren't looking. That's the best time. When everyone's looking over here, you need to take a picture over here and see what's happening. Okay? We, we, we found that out with some famous people have found out that, uh, you know, their cameras are always on. They're always around, aren't they? They're always taking pictures. And today we're going to take a look at Jesus. And he's doing a little people watching himself with some disciples. Mark chapter 12, 
You can find it in your Bible. We're going to be flowing around the chapter. But Mark chapter 12, and Jesus is, is like the master teacher. He is amazing. He teaches in various ways. He does it sometimes with miracles, and he gives us pictures of what the kingdom of God looks like. Sometimes he does it with stories, with parables. Today, I think he's doing it with people watching. And he pulls his disciples to the side. We're at the end of Mark chapter 12, the very end. And he pulls his disciples, in, and they're in the temple, the temple in, in, the, in the middle of the city. And they said, Let, let's sit over here for a second. I want you boys to watch something. It's almost like this Robin Williams carpe diem moment there. Watch this, boys. Come in. And, and he draws his atten- the attention to different people that are, are walking around in in, in the temple area. And some of these people, they're, they're the teachers of the law, the, the people that know a lot about the Bible, the scholars of the Bible. Now, I know this is going to be hard to believe, but back then, the religious scholars, the Bible scholars, the people that knew the Bible well, they were the superstars, okay? They were the ones that everyone knew who they were. If there were a People magazine back then, these people would be on the cover. Like, they would, people would want to get pictures with the biblical scholars. I know it's mind-blowing. You're like, that's, preachers were like the cool kids back then, okay? If, if they were like Nike shoes with someone's silhouette, it would be of like someone holding a Bible, okay? That was society then, all right? So when, when a scholar would come in, it's just like, ooh, ah, look over there, there he is. And all eyes would turn that direction. But Jesus says something. He says, you know what? You see these, these, these people? You know, they, they look like they have these flowing robes, and they have these nice, even clothes. And, and, they, and the people want to emulate them, but they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property. And catch this phrase, they pretend to be pious. They pretend to be religious or sincere with their long prayers in public. Don't follow them. And then he says, see the treasury? Now, in the temple, there was this treasury, and it was outside of the court of women. And this is where the people would bring the offering. And it was not like a, we're going to have an offering, everybody going to, it was just various times people would come in. And he says, boys, check this out. And, and suddenly, the rich people started to come in. And they came in with their, their amazing clothes and, and their stuff and And I just imagine, you know, back in the day, they didn't have, in this first century, they didn't have, like, money like we know as in paper money. They had coins, various coins. And the nicer the coins, the gold, silver, copper, that kind of thing. And so people would come, especially the rich, and they would put their offering in the offering plate. And and the, the, the disciples, their eyes must have lit up when they heard the noise. Because think about that money. I mean, just, wow, man, it's a lot of money. That, wow, what would, what would I do with all that kind of, what would I do with that money? What could we do? And just more and more rich people came in. And you can see even the looks on the faces of those who are pouring this money in. You're just like, yeah, you heard that, didn't you? Oh, you heard that. There's more where that came from. And just more and more. And the disciples must have been just enamored by these people. And they walk away. And, and you can just tell the disciples, their heads just are watching them as they're leaving. Man, what would it be like? I wish, I wish. But Jesus says, wait for it, boys. You're, don't miss it. Don't miss it. And he, he almost like turns their head. And here is a woman that comes from the side. And so no one can see her. 
with tattered clothes. And she just kind of creeps onto the scene while everyone's heads turn one way. You can just see her coming up when no one's watching. And Jesus says, watch this. This is going to be great. And I imagine her pulling off out a little, maybe a little change purse. She takes out these just two little pieces of copper. They're called leptus. In fact, they're so, they're so small and so light that, that scholars tell us that if you put them in your hand, they would blow out of your hand. That's how meaningless they, they were, how lightweight they were. And you can see this woman. She takes these two little pieces, closes her eyes, maybe says a prayer, and drops them in. Did you see that? You can see Jesus' eyes light up. Did you see that woman? That was amazing. That, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's it, boys. Now, for us to wrap our minds around this, this whole chapter is, is pointing in one direction. It's pointing toward this moment, at this time. And for us to get there, we've got to catch up a couple places. First of all, in chapter 11 of Mark, Jesus comes into the temple, and there are people that are selling sacrifices, and they're making some money on it. And what does Jesus do? He comes and he knocks over the, the, these tables, and he says, this is not what my house, God's house is for, my Father's house is for. Remember that scene? And he said, this place is a place of worship, not a place to, to make money and take advantage of people. No, no, no. Well, this ticks the religious people off of the day. And they have some questions, and they're starting to plot in their mind, we've got to get this guy. We're going to kill this guy eventually. But they start throwing him questions to try to trick him and to try to make him look bad. But Jesus, oh, he's pretty amazing. He's like the Yoda teacher, okay? He answers their questions, their hard questions, with even harder questions. That's what Jesus does. He, and he makes them go, I, I, don't, I don't have an answer for that. But he, that's, what, that's what Jesus does. And even one person says this. He comes up to him and says, so, so, so Jesus what is the most important commandment? What's the, the most important commandment in all of the Bible? And what does Jesus do? He, if you're following there in, in Mark chapter 12, he says, well, he refers back to the Shema. The Shema. He, he says that this Shema, this is not where we're at here. We can, uh, we'll just take it off the screen for a second. The Shema is that, that famous phrase in Deuteronomy 6, where it says this, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Good Jews, they, they say this every day. This is the most important thing. And then Jesus adds something else to it. He says this, love your neighbor as yourself. This is equally as important. And the teachers of law, they were just, they were mouths open, kind of shocked kind of moment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the most important thing. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's what he kind of adds on to this. He throws another part in here. And in, in, in Mark, it says this. It says, later, Jesus was teaching people in the temple. And he asked, why do teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble my, your enemies beneath your feet. Since David himself called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? 
the large crowd listened to him and they were, they were with great delight. Now, to understand what's happening here, okay, this, what's this whole son thing, David's son? They were expecting this Messiah, and he was supposed to come in the line of David, the, line of the, the, the lineage of David. That's what they were looking for, this Messiah. But what Jesus is saying here, this is not a, a, a problem of lineage. The issue is lordship, not lineage. Let me try to break that down for you. Uh, I am Tommy and Sherry's son. Okay, I'm Tommy and Sherry's son. I'm, I'm from the, the line of the Hawkins. And I, I realize this more and more because I'm doing things that sound like my dad. Uh, I've inherited traits like him, like my hairline, uh, which I hate. Uh, but I also have the accent as well that's there. My mom, sweet, dear woman, she is. She is a crier. She cries. I cry. I can't help it sometimes, especially when you're talking in front of people. It's really embarrassing when you have snot come out of your nose and you're just, I am Sherry's son. I like drama. I like movies. That's my mom. That's just these things that come out. I am a part of that, that line. But what, what Jesus is trying to say is, is this. Jesus, this Messiah that's supposed to come, he, yes, he's from David's line, but think about what David said. And he refers to this psalm, Psalms 110, where he says this, my Lord said to the Lord. And what he's saying is this, God said to Jesus, who is my Lord. So this Messiah is my Lord. To kind of make this very simple, I'll try to go there. Does anybody from the 90s remember the phrase? I don't even know if kids say this anymore, but who's your daddy, okay? Who's your daddy, all right? Now, is this a reference to like your physical daddy, no, it's like, who's in charge? Who's the daddy, okay? Chris Cross said it best, Mac daddy make you want to jump, jump. Anybody? <laughs> daddy Mac will make you want, okay. Anyway, who is your daddy? Now, that's not talking about your physical daddy, but like, who's in charge? Who's your daddy? Like, if you're on a, playing basketball, who's the best? Who's your daddy? Who, who's in charge of this scene? Your daddy is. I probably did not explain that very well, but I'll, there it is. So, so what you're saying is this. Say, David, if you're saying that, that Jesus, the Messiah, is his son, that means that David, or Jesus, is under David. But Jesus isn't under anybody. David says to God, you are the Lord. I don't know if you follow all that, but... You are the Lord. So how does that make a difference? What it makes a difference is this. Whose kingdom were they seeking? Their kingdom or his kingdom? Whose kingdom are, are they seeking? Were they seeking what, what Jesus could do for them or, or instead what they could do for God? So, when, when we think about this whole thing, that begins to, to kind of bring some things to mind. God gives us some, this, this whole love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love him with all your heart, your entire heart. And you are my Lord. I trust you. You are in control. God gives us some tests to these two statements. We can say we love God. We can say that we trust God, that God, you are my Lord. But is it the truth? 
back in, I don't know what years, it, the years it were, maybe you can help me out after the service, they would, this thing would flash on the, on the screen every now and then, this is a test, a test of an emergency broadcasting system. Or, you know, or, do you remember those days? They're the beep, and it'd be over. Throughout Scripture, throughout the Bible, Jesus actually gives some tests of this whole thing. This, this principle of love the Lord your God with all your heart, and I trust you with all my heart. You are my Lord. He tests people along the way, and I think he actually tests us as well. But let me, let me give us a couple of examples. In Genesis chapter 22, God comes to, to Abraham. Do you remember the story? Abraham and, and Sarah, they couldn't have children. In fact, they were extremely old at this point. And when, when they'd given up hope of being able to have kids, and one day God says, you know what? I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make people come after you, which, of course, the reaction would be, that's not possible because we can't have, have kids. I got an answer for you. You're going to have a son, You're going, which Sarah laughs at and whatever. And guess what? After the age of 100, this woman, this couple, they have a baby. They have a baby, and they're rejoicing in this, this Isaac but what does God do? If you go to Genesis chapter 22, it says that, that God tested Abraham. Now, I heard it said, I think it was Mark Batterson said it once, to have a testimony, to have an amazing story, you need to be tested sometimes. You can't have the word testimony without the word test in it. And so here is this test of this, love the Lord your God with all your heart. I trust you, God. And he goes to, to, to Abraham and says this, I want you to take your son, this beautiful gift that you've been given, and I want you to go on top of the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice your son. To Abraham's response is, yes, Lord. He goes up on the mountain. He takes his son. They gather the supplies, and even in the gathering, the son, Isaac, turns to him and says, but, but, but dad, where is the sheep for the sacrifice? And, and, and Abraham says, the Lord will provide. He puts Isaac on this altar. He pulls a knife. And right when he's about to sacrifice his perfect gift of a son, God stops him. and says, don't, don't put a hand on that boy. Now, this is a tough story for us. Not for one second do I believe God was going to allow Abraham to kill Isaac. But it was a test of what's more important, the gift or the one that has given you the gift? The gift or the one that has given you the gift in the first place? What a moment. This was Abraham's all-in moment. Now, I have friends that play this game called Texas Hold'em. And in this game, there are times where you push all your chips in. And you say, I am all in. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that I have the best hand. And you, you push your chips in the middle. Now, in the, back in the old days, we have like a, a movie type scene. That's when they're starting to pull out. The pot gets bigger and bigger when you're playing cards. Uh, pulling out the car keys. 
put the car keys in, pull out the, the house deed, throw that in there as well. And the, it's just like you're holding nothing back. There's no doubt in my mind that I have the best hand that I am going. This is an all in. He's pushing all of his chips into the pile. And God gives us these moments. And you see it throughout Scripture. There's another time where this rich young ruler, he comes up and he actually asks Jesus the same question. What's the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God. And he says the same thing. And Jesus asked him this. Here's his all-in moment. I want you to go, and I want you to sell everything that you have, and I want you to give it to the poor. Immediately, the man's face dropped, and he walks away sad because he was a very rich man. What's more important, the gift or the giver? Love the Lord your God. I trust you. I trust you. And he walks away sad. Now, I, I think we walk away, I, I, we look at this guy and go, man, if, if Jesus was here in the flesh and he told me, I would, I would do it. But there are some things that just kind of prevent us from going all in, from totally trusting God with these things. There are some things that hold us back. My daughter, uh, Quinn, is two. And uh, yeah, there is her and her, her beautiful mother. And uh, I don't know how this happened, but all my kids... They look like me, and uh, I prayed, Jesus, just one of my kids, please look like my olive skin, beautiful hair, wife, and they're all pale and like me, and uh, there it is. But there's little Quinn. Right now, Quinn, she has this disease that every little two-year-old gets. You know about them. They're, it's an epidemic. She's got the mines, everything, mine, mine. That's mine. If she touches it, that's mine. She ha I had this massive drink of Coke the other day. It was one of those, uh, those glass, what do you call those glasses that are the cool ones? Not a big gulp. The, I lost it. I'll think of it in a second. It's the, you can put plants in it or flowers and, no. <laughs> Vase? College kids are so smart. <laughs> That's right, it was a vase. Mason jar, mason jar. I this mason jar of, of Coke, and she like grabs it. Mine, mine. Everything is mine, which I can't really blame her because I thought back in first grade, Megan Titus had a, a brownie that I wanted, and I asked her if I could have her brownie, and she said no. And uh, I grabbed her brownie, <laughs> and I said, it's mine now. <laughs> that happened. There are moments that, you know what, it could be two, we could be five. There are still these moments, we might not say it out loud, but there are some things that we just say, this is mine. This is mine. There was a, 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 a guy, and uh, his name is uh, Phil Vischer, and uh, he's the creator of VeggieTales. You know VeggieTales? Speaking of kids, who doesn't know VeggieTales? And uh, VeggieTales, super popular. They exploded in the, in the 90s, and uh, let's see, I got some numbers here. It was like 50 million videos uh, and grossed over hundreds of millions of dollars, VeggieTales did. Uh, who hasn't seen, if you like to talk to tomatoes, if uh Squash can make you smile. Yeah, here we go. Or, uh, oh, where is my hairbrush? Oh, where 
his mic? Yeah. And many, many, many others, many others. Um, they're amazing. They're great videos. But something happened to Veggie Tales. I don't know if you've noticed this, but about a decade ago, after millions of dollars and making millions of videos and a lot of kids smile and, and learn about Jesus, they went bankrupt. They went bankrupt. And uh, it started that the creator said, Phil, he said, you know, there was tension with workers and, and there was just this, this bad mojo that was happening and there was fighting and video sales started to, to slow. And then everything ended in really in, in a lawsuit what just took the, ripped the company away from, from Phil. And he's going through this time now. In the last few years, he's really been re reflecting. And, and this is something, a couple of things that he said that really jumped out to me. He said this, you assume that because everything is working, that means you're on the right track. We often, we confuse numerical success with God's continued thumbs up. And what he showed me was that his thumbs up had little to do with numerical success and everything to do with obedience. I was miserable. I was killing myself trying to be the next Walt Disney when he never called me to do that in the first place. He called me to be Phil. And we don't have the patience to say, okay, God, show me who Phil is. Wow. And he says this, seven years ago, my dream died. And I discovered once all the noise faded away, what I had been missing all along he said, the impact that God has planned for us does not occur when we are pursuing impact. It occurs when we are pursuing God. If God gives you a dream and the dream comes to life and God shows up in it, but then the dream dies, maybe God wants you to see what's more important. Is it the dream that's more important? the dream that you have for your life, the, the pictures that you painted for yourself, or is it the one who gave you the dream in the first place? Is it the one who gave you the dream in the first place? Another way we do this, another way we, we just say, uh, we begin to draw some lines. We draw some lines and say, you know what? There's some things that uh, I, I will give and there's some things that I, that I won't give. You know, uh, I'm not a very good gift giver. Some of you, hopefully, you have a Mother's Day uh, gift already. If you don't, I'm sure Target is open right now. And uh, there's something that happens during gift-giving times. When you go to the store, you begin to process. Or maybe you're thinking about this as you're looking at flowers. There are different kind of sections, price sections. And you begin to think, hmm, if you're getting a gift and they're going to give you a gift, I wonder how much you're spending on me. I wonder what like the price section that I should spend. Is this like a $50 occasion or is this a $25? Or is this like a $5 gift card kind of deal, all right? Uh, and you begin to kind of price and you put lines and you go, okay, I, this is where, is where it is or, or that's where it is. And we begin to, to look at these different lines and we say, yeah, you can, you can have this or you can have this much or I'm gonna spend that much along uh, the way. You know, there's, there's a phrase uh, that, that jumps out. And it's a book from a few years ago. Some of you probably read it, uh, Crazy Love by Francis Chan. He says this, so often we serve leftovers, our leftovers to a holy God. We do that with just our, our time. 
We do that with our, our treasure. We do that with our talent. What, what's ever left, God, I'll, I'll give it to you. And that was the scene that was happening here. If we go back to the book of Mark, what he's saying is this. You see those people? They are just giving out of the excess, the surplus of their life. They're giving out of the surplus. For, for example, if someone gave $1 million to God, but they had $9 million left, hmm. Or if someone gave $1,000 to God and they had $9,000 left, but why that woman was, it was so amazing, was here is her two little leftists. This was everything to her. It wasn't just everything. It was the only thing she had left. It was everything. One, and one, one rabbinic story, this, there's a story that's out there that it's very similar to the one in Mark. And it says this, that, that, that one day this woman came up to a rabbi and she just had like a handful of grain. And, and the rabbi said, what is this for? What is, what is this? And he rejects this woman. He goes back and he has a dream. And in the dream, the Lord tells the rabbi this, that woman was offering you her very life. Her very life. This is all she had. She had the food to eat, the last bit of food that she had. She offered it as an offering to the Lord. Do not reject it. She's giving you everything. She's giving you her life. You see, this story, it's, it's not about equal giving, but it's about equal sacrifice. It's about equal sacrifice. And this woman in the story, she understands that the kingdom because she was willing to give her everything. She's willing to give her everything. So my question for you today is this. What's something in your life that maybe you've held on to? What's your veggie tales? What's your thing, your vision that is yours? What's the thing in your life that's mine? What's the place that you've drawn some lines and said, you know what, I'll give out of the extra, my extra time, my extra talent. God, I, I, when, I, when I have time, when I get to this place or that place, have you gone all in and you totally trusted the Lord with your entire life? Is there anything that you need to let go of? There are some uh, people that I think give us a great picture of what the kingdom of God looks like today. Now, you can't always find their names in the news. Sometimes you can. Uh, in one situation uh, you, you, or another, you might. But if you look carefully, there are some people that are living just like this woman. In the Middle East, we've heard a lot about terrorists and things that are, are, are threatening out there. But there are some people that are saying, you know what? I don't care what happens to me. I, I give my entire life. My life is yours. And I'm willing to stand for the gospel. I'm willing to stand for Jesus Christ, even in the midst of, of physical pain and possible uh, persecution. I'm standing with Jesus. There are people like uh, Dr. Kent. You remember Dr. Kent that was in Africa and said, you know what? I know that this Ebola disease is all around, but I'm staying. And I'm staying to help because my life is yours and I want to love others well. I want to love others well. I think about my friend, David Gay, who is in Columbus, Ohio, at a place called Lower Lights Ministry. And they're living in Columbus in one of the worst sections of Ohio that's known for 
massive drug use and prostitution and, and all kinds of, of, of just dark things that are happening in this little neighborhood in town. He, they started a ministry, the Lower Lights Ministry, and uh, going down and just loving people. But one day God said this, as he was ministering to people and they're doing various things and feeding people and helping people get off the streets. And, and one of the programs they do is actually a, a secondary halfway house for women as they're coming out of jail. And there's homes down there. And, and David said this, you know what? I'm tired of driving into this place. I'm going to move my family to this place because we want to transform this neighborhood, I am all in. They bought a house. They encouraged people. And this neighborhood is beginning to look completely different because he said, I'm, God, I trust you. I trust you with everything. I, I see it in families that, that look around and say, you know what? I know there's a lot of pressure in our culture to raise our kids a certain way and to follow certain things. But you know what? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We see it with, with our kids. And today uh, is a special day because around this time of year, uh, there was a, we dedicated Noah about eight years ago. And uh, that day I, I read a, a dedication a letter to him. And of course he was about a month old. And I will try my best to read this without crying my eyes out, but uh, I read this to my son when he was a month old. And maybe you would think about this as you think about your kids today. On this very special day, we take time to thank God for blessing us with your life. Three weeks ago and one day you entered the world and immediately became the best thing. That's ever happened to us. You are beautiful, truly a good and perfect gift from above. And although we've been eagerly expecting your arrival for the last nine months, we take comfort and joy in the fact that even before we knew about you, God knew about you. It has been his divine plan since the beginning to bring you into our lives. Psalms 139 says, All the days ordained for you were written in God's book before one of them came to be. It's humbling and it's overwhelming to realize for some reason he chose us to be your parents. We are just the beginning. We're just beginning to understand the joy of parenthood and the depth of that responsibility. We look forward to all that we will experience together in our new family. You were given the name Noah because it's unique at the time, uh, and it's a pretty cool name, but most importantly because of the Noah in the Bible. In the middle of a corrupt generation, Noah was righteous, a righteous man who walked with God and found favor in his eyes. That's our prayer for you. We pray that above all else, you would find favor with God, walking with him and allowing him to guide your steps. With that in mind, your mother and I, we promise to do everything in our power to raise you in the fear and the sight of the Lord. We are privileged today to stand here with both our grandparents, our parents, with your grandparents, our parents. They have been excellent examples of godly parents. And we promise today to raise you to love and to honor God as our parents did. And that day, we took the most, the most important gift that we'd ever received and we gave him back to God. There are some gifts in your life. There are some things that God has given you, some talents, some, some treasures, some things, some people. And we're not called to hold on to those things, but we're called to give them to him. And the one that we love 
actually gives them back to us. He gives them back to us. Maybe you have some dreams, some vision. Maybe your job that you hate going to is the the dream that God has given you to make a difference in this world, that it's not yours, that it's his. And you need to come and you need to stop holding on to the things in this world, the gifts, the visions, your plans, your future. Maybe it's your kids. want to say today, and maybe you've said this before, but maybe you need to say it again today. You need to remind yourself that my life is not my own. See, what Jesus said is this, if you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. You are going to lose it. But if you give it, you will will save your life. So today, we're gonna sing a song, it's an old song. I love this song, it's, it's one we've maybe heard before. It's very simple, I surrender all. Today's a day of just a reminder and surrender of the gifts and the visions, the life that God has given us. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity. Maybe today there's something you're holding on to. You've had pennies hopefully in your hand the whole time. And maybe today, if you want everyone to stand, let's just stand in the room now. If you want maybe today, just in your own time, maybe you wanna come up and just symbolically this morning, you need to give your, your everything to the Lord. Let's sing, and I just call you to respond. Amen. It's been a good day in the house of the Lord. I, I, I just encourage you today. There was one time that uh, I was in church, and this happened, that a woman, she put some money in the offering, and uh, she went to go get change back, and uh, then she started to make her way out the door, uh, which was pretty funny uh, at the time. But there is a temptation for us when we give some things to God, some people in our lives, some very important things in our lives, our future, our hopes and our dreams, there's a temptation to want to pull those back. Resist that temptation. Live your life fully for the Lord. Kids are a great blessing. They've got a gift for you, I believe, in the back. We hope that you have an amazing day today. We hope that Gentlemen, I hope that you take care of your ladies. I hope that they don't lift a finger today. And I hope you have an amazing time in the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have a wonderful Mother's Day.